Hey, listeners, it's Nick. Thanks for your patience uh, in this episode. Um, we're recording remotely, as you might know. Uh, we're still working out the kinks, but it worked. And um, we successfully recorded the episode. Um, there are a couple of audio glitches. You will hear them. I tried to edit around them as much as I could. Um, just, you know, when those pop up, just know that it's stuff we're working on. Um, but anyways, enjoy the episode, guys. Bye. The only horror movie podcast with Nick and Joe. <laughs> okay, uh, Joe, we're on. We're back. We did it. Finally. Finally. Uh, yeah. The uh, we you know first of all I we should apologize to our listeners for the late episode. Yeah, we're sorry about that, but you know, it was, uh, we really tried to get it done. Yeah, we tried a lot of different things. And um, yeah, it was a lot of technical stuff, you know, like we are recording remote, uh, like we said. Um, I am in New York right now and so it was just a motherfucker trying to figure it out but we got it yeah we had to get you know we had to get new pieces of equipment all kinds of things to get it going but we finally got it figured out yeah and thank uh thank the lord for that praise jesus uh yeah man i'm happy to be back you know like uh yeah. i saw uh, sam Lindsay at his mic on thursday he was like getting very close to like texting nick and be like drop the episode like yeah, we he, need to get that episode out like, yeah he called me uh Did he? yeah he called me to tell me that we really need to get it out yeah uh, and Which, uh, <laughs> he's right yeah i yeah. feel bad but it feels good to you know to to know that people are 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 jones it for a new episode of the only horror movie podcast yeah we know of at least one person and uh and it's sam Lindsay, uh sweet man our good buddy sam yeah so hey everybody this is the only horror movie podcast and my name is nick and i'm joe and uh this is a show where um joe is a a, a horror fanatic we might say uh and i am I'll take a, that yeah and i'm a total noob uh, i know very little um about horror films in general so joe tells me every week to watch a movie i watch the movie and we come back and we talk about it and that's the show you can uh follow us on instagram you can email at us at the only horror movie pod at gmail.com yes uh what else how else can they you can rate us five stars um, subscribe and do all that stuff. And, and, and also we would really love, we know that we have a crazy amount of Indian, uh, listener base here, like a big, uh, a number of people. And that's really cool. And the majority of our listeners, majority you have now surpassed Americans and, um, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email. Yeah, we would anything. Just tell us how you heard of our show. Cause we're very curious as to why we're, uh, kind of blowing up in India. We're stoked about it. Yes. But, but what the hell's going on? But yeah, we don't understand it. Yeah. So shoot us an email and just be like, hey, we're, you know, I live in this city and uh, this is how I heard about you. Just let us know. We want to hear from you. Start a conversation. We'll be your pen yeah. pal. So how have you been, man? I haven't seen you in like two weeks. I've been good. You know, I got my shoulders a little sore. I got the COVID booster yesterday. You know, other than that, been good. Yeah, how's New York? It's good. I'm in the Bronx and, um, you know, I'm happy. I'm happy up here. I like the Bronx and I like New York a lot. I like I like the city. It's a great city. Yeah, it seems like you've been doing a lot of shows and stuff. I've I've been doing a fair amount of shows more than I'm, you know, uh, than I normally do in any city that I'm ever in. 
Um, and that's been cool, uh, doing some open mics and, uh, still writing my one man show. And, uh, Brett Johnson is still helping me out with it. You know, I'm, I'm meeting with him today or tomorrow to uh, oh, nice. going over it. And then I, I reached out to some people, some, some places in, in, uh, New York, uh, that, uh, will, will, will gladly take me for my one man show to run it, uh, for like 50 bucks an hour or something. Seems pretty reasonable, especially if you can sell a few tickets or totally. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's how that's me. That's everything that's going on with me, and um, it's good, man. You know, if, that's um, cool. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, I'm just doing a lot of wedding planning. We got, you know, I don't know if I mentioned, but I got back like the mixes of my demo. Pretty stoked about that. Nice. Yeah. That's great. So yeah, it should be finished like October eighth. Hell yeah! Well, yeah. Dude. Yeah. So you know, guys, get excited for the botched execution demo to come out. Yeah, we're gonna promote it here, and you can find it wherever you. Yeah, I'll throw I'll throw out. a link in the episode maybe or something. Yeah, dude, that's sick. What what's the movie? The movie's Pet Cemetery. Yeah, Pet that's Cemetery right. from 1989. The uh, not the remake. Not the remake. The uh, you know based off Stephen King's novel of the same name. Mm-hmm. You may know this one. This is a famous one. It's pretty well known. Yeah, you know it's some of the well ones. Known. You know what, what, the last. I mean, Slither's pretty well known. Rogue is the most obscure one we've done so far. It's a great film. It's very fun. There's definitely some weird moment. I mean, probably like just because it's from the 80s, but just stuff that was like weirdly. Could be. Yeah, but uh, I liked it. I, I liked I li- I ended up overall, really liking the movie. Yeah. Over, yeah. At the, by the end, I was like, wow, this movie uh, is fucked up. And yes. uh, and it disturbed me quite a bit. I was uh, I wasn't expecting to be like like I was. I think the most scared I've been of the movies we've watched. Uh, was from high tension. That was like the most like jacked up. Yeah, that yeah. I got. And then I think this one may might be second because it's... the story is fucking sad and horrible. Yeah. And like then just all these things. It's it was like less scary and more like oh my god I can't T- dark and it. traumatic and yeah. like tragic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really fucked up. I just didn't expect it to to fuck with me that much. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting uh, observations. Uh, it, you know, the novel that it's based on is the only one that Stephen King said really scares him of his own books. Wow, his own uh, writing. Yeah, I don't know about the movie, but he's like, you know, he and it's it's widely considered to be his darkest novel too. Like, okay. Yeah, I haven't read the book myself, but I've talked to people who've read it and. I uh, I have some notes here for somebody who did their master's thesis on this movie. Wow. So they did compare. There's a lot of them comparing the differences between the characters and stuff in the book and the in the movie. Oh, okay. Some uh, pretty somewhat interesting differences and stuff like that. But yeah, the, like this, this one definitely goes hard as fuck. Like it's, yeah. it's you know, totally. up there with like Night of the Living Dead in terms of just being like completely tragic. Yeah. Like yeah, all around. Tragic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really sad. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, hey, let's let's get into it then. Let's. Uh, do you have notes up top you want to do? Yeah, I can just give a little bit of you know the basic background stuff that I usually do, and I'll Sweet. try to like uh, I'll try to work some of these notes in as we're going through the plot too, just because I got a lot of them. Hell yeah, dude! We're doing Pet Cemetery, also known as Stephen King's Pet Cemetery from 1989. Uh, it was directed by Mary Lambert. So this is our first movie that was directed by a woman, uh, which there have not been a ton of horror movies directed by women, but a handful of really great ones. And I think they kind of stand out as, you know, it's just a different point of view. Uh, So we'll get into that more based on the 1983 novel by Stephen King of the same name. He also wrote the screenplay 
uh, and it stars Dale Midkiff, Denise Crosby, Blaze, and I think Bo Birdall, they're uh, twins, uh, Fred Gwynney, Brad Greenquist, and Miko Hughes. Little uh, background on Mary Lambert. Uh, Mary Lambert is an American director who's worked on music videos, television episodes, and feature films, mainly in the horror genre. Uh, she was born in Arkansas and is the daughter of a rice and cotton farmer and Whoa. sister of former U.S. Senator Blanche Lincoln. Blanche Lincoln? Yeah. Okay. Interesting, um, I guess. Yeah, you know. Hey. Yeah, right on. Some people's uh, relatives are senators. Yeah. It's just yeah, how it know. goes. And some are in jail. You know, it's. Yeah. Some turn out to be good people. Yeah. There's, you know, you can have all kinds of relatives. Most of mine are pretty good people, I think. Yeah. Not all. Uh, but anyway, back to Mary Lambert. She graduated the BFA from uh, Rhode Island School of Design. And she has directed music videos for Chris Isaac, Janet Jackson, Annie Lennox, Mick Jagger, The Go-Go's, nice. Whitney Houston, Allison oh, yeah. Krauss, Ooh, Live, yeah. Ooh, baby. Motley Crue, Sting, yes. Queensryche, oh. Debbie Harry, uh-huh. Tom Tom Club, which I have no mm. idea who that is, nope. uh, as well as the Madonna videos for Borderline, Like a Virgin, Material Girl, okay. La Isla Bonita, and Like a Prayer. There you go. Uh, and she was apparently she was editing a Madonna video when she got the call to make this movie. Hell yeah, dude. That's great. I mean, what a what a bunch of work that she did. Yeah, that well, that's just the videos. And she also yeah. has uh, feature films, including the her debut, which is a stylish, controversial thriller siesta, as well as Pet Cemetery one and two uh, urban legends, Bloody Mary and Mega Python versus Gatoroid starring Debbie Gibson and Tiffany. Um, I'm sorry. So can we talk about Tiffany? Yeah. Who is this? Tiffany, the like the 80s uh, pop star. I did not know of any Tiffany. No, no, I, I mean, didn't know a Tiffany that went just by Tiffany. That's pretty incredible. Oh, yeah. What was her hit? She had probably maybe a couple hits in the 80s. I just like that. Tiffany is like that's very much not like the kind of name that you just go by. You know, like you're just like, oh, I'm Tiff. It's like a, it'd be like me like being like, oh, I'm my name Nicholas, you know? Yeah. Or, you know, just Steve or Steve, Jeff. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Know. <laughs> yeah. It's not like a, it's not like a Madonna or no, a Prince it's not one name, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Technically Beyonce is just her first name. Yeah. But still it's a cool first name. That's true. It has that Tiffany, accent and stuff. Yeah. Tiffany is just like a, a regular. Yeah. It's well, a, like, the, yeah. You know, she was just like a regular, you know, teen pop star in the eighties. Regular Tiff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good for her. Yeah. That's yeah. good. We I'm could look up she... her song, but you know. Yeah. Well, maybe later. Yeah. Maybe we'll play it right here. Yeah. Well, maybe we can also, we can uh, do an episode on Mega Python versus Gatoroid. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. Let's get into it. You ready? I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm ready too. All right, folks. So here we are. The plot. This is Pet Cemetery 1989. We slowly fade in from black to the title Pet Cemetery over ominous music. We fade into an empty jar sitting by a tree stump, maybe a fishbowl. We don't know. Cicadas chirp along with the ominous music, and we pan up as children children's grieving voices can be heard echoing in the background. Uh, one girl says, bye, old sheep. See you in heaven. Yeah? And as we pan further up, it becomes clear that this is a burial for a fish. It's like a cross. And we see that, that we're in a pet cemetery, right? Um, and as we can hear, like another boy's voice heard, 
as we pan over several more graves. And he says, this is where my kitty lays. No more. He screams and hollers. He lived for five and 20 days and cost me $50. Now, Joe, I got a question. <laughs> What's going on here? Sounds like bad poetry is what's right? going it on here. Like bad poetry. What yeah. are these, why are these kids rhyming to, in, in terms of like uh, their grieving process? Just to make it creepier, you know, it was a real big in a Dr. Seuss and Shel Silverstein back then. He was. Oh, I don't know. I yeah, assume these sure. kids were. Yeah. Some of these kids must have been. It just doesn't make it makes no sense to me because I was watching this and I was like this. I mean, if, if this doesn't come back, I'm going to kill myself. And it never came back. <laughs> OK, well, so, that's an extreme reaction. But I know. I'm glad you made it anyway. <laughs> then, then there's another kid who says spot a good fella. And it just I'm like, what? It's I know that one's not poetry, but like I've never the another another kid says biffer biffer hell of a sniffer. Oh yeah, yeah. I did read that one. It's yeah. just like uh Yeah. Um uh, I don't know. Have you ever even been to a pet cemetery? Was that a thing? I mean, I've never I never knew that there was such thing as a pet cemetery because we always we buried my dog in our backyard. Yeah, right. Like yeah. every pet I ever had either got like you know, depending on their status in the pet hierarchy, some got buried in the yard. Yes. A few got flushed. I had a lot of weird pets. I had scorpions and snakes and lizards and stuff as a kid, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. I never had a, a scorpion. But yeah, I never knew that um, a pet cemetery existed. And it's just an odd. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Because I was like, yeah, no kid has have I ever talked to. Sounds like these kids. Right. Yeah. Just uh, just doing their weird dead pet poems. It's part of the healing process, you know, it's part of the grieving. Yeah, I guess it is. So finally, we see a full overhead shot of the cemetery, and it's it's very like a very creepy ass cemetery. It's yeah, it's in the middle like, of the woods. It's in the middle of the woods. It's arranged in a weird way, like in a like there's a circle in the middle, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's just it's just an odd setup for the whole thing. And then we see a sign, you know, from the entrance and it's pet cemetery, but it's misspelled with an S. And then we keep hearing these voices, these children's voices chanting la 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 as the music grows louder. And then we see like a shot of like this brush, you know, like into the woods, basically like what's over there. And oh, then yeah. it's like a big pile of sticks and stuff. That's like yeah. <laughs> real ominous on the other yeah. side of the pet cemetery. And then the, the music crescendos and then we cut. And now we see a red semi truck rolling through the countryside. The truck speeds it, it quickly, very quickly past this white suburban farmhouse that says for sale in the front yard. Moments later, a wood panel, I think a Cadillac wagon or something like that, pulls up into the drive the driveway. A bumper sticker on the back reads, have you hugged your MD today? So now we know there's a doctor, right? Um, and this house is a very nice uh, suburban home, you know, real big, lot of land greenery all over the place it's very like american dreamy home is it suburban or is it more like i feel like it's on the outskirts of a small town like almost like a farmhouse you're absolutely true about that uh it is not (laughs) suburban it is a secluded farmhouse the car parks out front and lewis and rachel creed step out with their little girl ellie and ellie says we're finally here and she gives her dad a big hug Ellie starts doing somersaults in the yard and Rachel looks at the big house with a bit of skepticism and she looks at Lewis and Lewis is like, what do you think? And then her her reaction quickly changes a little misdirect here. And she says, I love it. It's gorgeous. And uh, it's a very cheesy moment right now. 
Yeah, kind of they go over the top sentimental with it. Like it's yes. like really like, you know, this idyllic family setting with a fucking tire swing hanging from the tree and Yes. Yeah, the wood panel station wagon and Yes. Perfect it, white like <laughs> white nuclear fence. family. They got all the stuff they need for a happy family. And there's like harp playing in the background. You know, it's like very like yeah. So Rachel, she uh Rachel gets their little boy um, out of the car seat. And this is Gage, this little kid's name. And he's like two, right? Yeah. So as Ellie swings on the tire swing, she sees a path, like a long path that leads into the woods. And there's dark music kind of faintly playing under the harp music. She yells to her mommy. She says that she sees a path. And Rachel's like, be careful on that swing. Uh, Ellie continues to swing back and forth on the tire swing until it snaps right from the branch. And she falls to the ground. And she screams for her parents to run to her, to her aid. And now our little boy Gage, right? He runs to the back of the truck and of the of the um, of the station wagon. Yeah, he sees this little cat. They have this little gray cat. And this is Church, right? This is their uh, cat, Winston Churchill. Um, yeah, which eye roll. Eye roll. Boo. Boring. So we hear another Dogs. semi. What's that? I hate Winston, Winston Churchill. So. Yeah, he's fat fuck. All right. So uh, we hear another semi rolling through the hills and it flies right by a gauge as he waves at it. It's a very tense moment because you're like this. There's these huge trucks roaring by. There's this little kid that's kind of getting closer to the road, really tightens. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. so Rachel, Rachel and Lewis look over and they see how close that he is to the road and they panic and they start sprinting towards him, screaming his name as they get closer. He's in the middle of the road. And uh, just before a truck can come and slam into this kid, uh, Mr. Crandall comes and scoops him up. And Mr. Crandall is uh, their neighbor. He's an old man. Judd Crandall. Judd Crandall, kind of a uh, funny looking guy, farmer type straw hat. And he says, uh, he says to Gage, he's like, no, you don't, my friend, not in that road. And uh, the parents come up and they run and they thank Mr. Crandall profusely. And Mr. Crandall's like, you got to be careful around that road. Those trucks go back and forth all day and most of the night. And Ellie runs up and she, and, uh, and and Mr. Crandall's like, oh, who might this be? She's like, Ellie. And he's like, your dad's going to be a new doctor in the college out here. So now we know uh, Lewis, the, the father, doctor, is going to be working at this college. Uh, and he tells he tells uh, Ellie, he says, I think you're going to be happy as a clam here. And then she says, are clams really happy? Which is a, a great point, right? For a kid. Yeah. Kind of feels a a little bit like a hacky stand-up premise. Kinda, um, yeah. Yeah. But she's a little girl. So you got to hand it to her. Yeah. I'm five years old. That's pretty good. That'd be a pretty good bit. You know, Rachel asked Crandall about the path that Ellie pointed out and, uh, and then creepy music begins again, you know, and Crandall's like, Oh, that's a good story. A good walk. I'll take you out there one day. Tell you the story too. And they're like, okay. And then they all kind of disperse. Yeah, and I like that you're doing the accent too. He's got the thickest, like, main country accent you've ever heard. Yeah, it's very thick. I don't, I don't want to overdo it, but I maybe mean, I. He, he fucking does it hard. He like, really does. It's a yeah. funny ass voice. So Rachel takes the kids, and they continue unpacking the car. Crandall is. Uh, he says to to Lewis that the house has stayed empty for too long, and he he just loves that. It's he's like it's good to see people in it again. So we cut to later that night. It's bedtime. Rachel checks on Gage and Ellie. We're both fast asleep. We hear trucks roaring down the road in the distance, right? Every time a truck passes, it's just like, yeah, these truckers are like, oh, we're on a small, you know, small country road, residential road. Let's drive 70 miles an hour. Yeah, they don't give a fuck. We cut to outside by the tire swing, right? And it sways back and forth as Lewis steps into the frame. We don't know what he's doing. 
with his eyes curiously on the path. You know, he's just kind of looking at it. And then suddenly we hear a cat Meow! and he, it spooks Lewis. Right. And he looks and it's just church. Church is in the tree hanging out. And he's like, he scared the life out of me, church. And another truck roars by as he takes another look at the path. He walks over to Crandall's house, who's still up on the porch. And Crandall's like, oh, hey, come on in. He invites him in for a beer. And uh, another truck roars by. And then uh, Lewis says, Jesus. Crandall tells um, Lewis about the path a little bit. He says, this road, you know, he's like, those trucks are the, the two main reasons the path is here. You know, he tells him it leads to a pet cemetery. And Lewis is like, a pet cemetery? He's like, yeah, what, is, what does he say? It's like, that, that road's used up a lot of animals. Like, yeah, something like says that. It, like. Uh, Crandall says, it's, uh, you know, he's like, it's mostly cats and dogs. And Lewis tells him his daughters about it. You know, he's like, my cat's name is Winston Churchill. And he's like, you better get the cat fixed. You know, he's like, they tend to wander otherwise. Uh, you know, he's, he's trying to help the family out. And Lewis is kind of being a passive dick about it because he goes, yeah, we'll take that under advisement. Yeah, I just yeah, don't. He, why is he being mean? Yeah, he seems. I don't know. He seems like he's just a little bit of a dick, right? Like he's just. Kind yeah, maybe of it's a, just a cocky. He's just doctor. kind of like a. But yeah, there is something about him where I'm just like, man, he's just kind of like. Kind of like a little rude to his like his new neighbor who's just trying yeah. to be like this, you know. Yeah, he's the a, old man who saved his man. son's life. Yeah, saved your son's life. He's just trying to be. He's like being welcoming, you know. Yeah, he's got invited but, him in for a beer. We're on my porch drinking my beer. Yeah, and I'm trying to tell you the best thing for your cat, and you're being a dickhead about it. But maybe it's because you know I don't know. Maybe it's supposed to be because like Lewis is like you know this like doctor from Chicago. Yeah, and you know Judd Crandall's like this country bumpkin, you know. Yeah. Played by Fred Gwynny, who they didn't want to cast because he was too famous for being Herman Munster. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, yeah totally. Okay. He's a big, tall guy. like Huge man. Yeah, he did a great job in the movie. We cut to the next day. Baby Gage is playing in the house with Lewis. Uh, Missy, uh, nanny. She's like a nanny of sorts. She's like the laundry lady, right? Yeah, I don't know. They just talk to her like she's a servant. Like, Yeah, she's kind of like a servant. She's this frail little just- middle-aged lady. On her way out, she runs into Rachel, and Rachel asks... Um, Missy, if she can come back on Monday and Missy tells Rachel, she's like, you know, I always wished I could have married a doctor. She said, I, uh, maybe my stomach pain wouldn't be so bad. And she says, guess I'll never be lucky. Hell, I ain't married to anyone. And it's like a very depressing send off. Oh but, yeah. Like, you know? You're just like, fuck. Like, yeah. And then she just walks away. And Rachel's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know? She's like, yeah, you know, it's weird. Cause like Rachel does talk to her. Like she's like a, like, it's like, man, I don't know if this is a thing just with like suburban and urban, like white people who had money. And like, I kind of feel like, I don't know, some of my parents' generation were a little bit like where they just talk to like people who like work for them. Like they're just the fucking help. Like, yes. Like you're not a human being. Like they just fucking like give them orders and yeah not like hey how's it going you know yeah. are you, you are you're a human being yeah no yeah. just like hey can you just do this and then leave like yeah get out we're paying you my way right? yeah yeah that's uh yeah i'm never comfortable with that you're not my equal at all you're, you're yeah you know so we cut to a shot of church the cat as the family follows mr crandall down the path to the pet cemetery right everybody now crandall's going to show the family what it is when they approach it ellie asks her mother what the sign says and rachel's like pet cemetery but it's misspelled and they walk to they walk through into the cemetery. Crandall says to Lewis, uh, you know, he's like, I told you it's a bad road, Lewis. It's killed lots of pets, made a lot of kids unhappy. At least some good come of it. Couldn't plant nothing but corpses here anyway. And Rachel's like, how could you say that this is a good thing? There's 
dead pets buried by broken-hearted children. And Mr. Crandall's like, uh, well, they got to learn about death somehow, don't they? And Rachel's like, why? And, um, you know, I agree with Crandall on this situation. I think it's a good. She's a little bit it's like you're kind of being a baby about this. Like, you know, yeah. like I understand you know, you're a mom with two little kids, but it's like eh, pets die. You That's know, right. like, pet, once you get a kid a pet, you have to accept that that cat is going to die and the kid's going to have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Ellie very gleefully pointing at a grave says this one's a goldfish and Crandall's like that's right they, they weren't all killed by the road uh, especially the ones from back in my time as a child so then Crandall shows Ellie the tombstone where he's buried uh, his first dog spot he asks Ellie he says uh, you know what a graveyard really is and she says no and he says it's a place where the dead speak and then Ellie's like <gasps> and Crandall's like no 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 it's not out loud and uh, he's like, they're stone speak or they're markers. The place isn't scary, Ellie. It's a place of the rest and the speaking. Bad I, bad thing to tell a kid, you know, <laughs> don't say anything about speak. The kid can't like speaking con- and rest. Uh, right. But it was one or the other. Right. And that's, he says both. But I think it's just weird, especially for a kid to be like, I can't. Under- she can't understand these concepts or like a metaphor. You know, Yeah. she just she just thinks talking anyways. Uh, that's why Crandall doesn't have any kids, that old fuck. Yeah. So we see a shot into the brush and we hear the ominous music and howling as we cut to later in the evening. Lewis is reading a book in the living room and Ellie comes in. She asks her father. She's like, what if church dies and we have to bury him in the cemetery? And Lewis is like, hey, church is going to be fine. She's like, not in the end. And uh, Lewis consoles her. And as, as she as he does that, Rachel is listening from the kitchen. And Lewis tells her church might be alive um, when you're in high school, that's a very long time. She was like, it doesn't seem long. And Lewis is like, look, if it were in my power, I'd have him live to a hundred, but I, I don't make the rules. And she says, who does? She says, God, I suppose, but he's not God's cat. He's mine. Tell God he to get his own cat, not mine. So Lewis just holds onto her tight. And we cut to Ellie asleep with uh, church in her bed as Rachel puts her to bed. And uh, the next morning, Rachel makes breakfast for the kids. And Ellie is nervous about going to school. She's scared. You know, she's like, I don't want to go. Lewis is cha- taking Lewis is taking church to get neutered. And Ellie says, I don't want church to get his nuts cut, daddy. And then her parents laughed. They're like, what the fuck? Uh, where did you hear that? And then she says, Missy Dandridge, the old uh, horny, uh, sad lady. Yeah. Or wash woman or whatever she is. Right. She hasn't fucked in 100 years. Lewis says he's doing it so that we don't have to worry about him getting run over by the trucks. And Ellie's like, promise, daddy. And then he doesn't say anything. And Rachel's like, don't shilly shally. Give the girl the promise. And Lewis says, uh, church will be fine, I promise. And then he kind of gives Rachel a bit of a stern look. So this is another weird thing about this motherfucker, right? Ellie cheers. She's like, yeah. And then Rachel thanks Lewis. But then Lewis is like, if anything happens while he's under the gas, you have to explain it to her. You know, he's like, if I get her over to this fucking neutering place and they put her under and she doesn't come back, it's your fucking fault. It's weirdly cruel. Right. I don't know. It's like a little bit of tension in their marriage, kind of. It's a little unclear, though. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. It's like they're just like, you know, I don't know. They're trying to explain death to these kids and they're just not not agreeing on how. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, oh, yeah, just promise the cat will be alive. Like, <laughs> yes, it feels like a like things were cut that were needed to kind of like solidify that tension. But anyway, 
maybe maybe but I'm he's out. also like you know he's a doctor he's like i, I you know i'm not gonna like you really want me to promise the cat will be alive you know right like, totally. so not only will the cat be dead but then you know it'll be like well you promised now right. now it's his fault okay so he, he heads out the door and rachel watches him go as lewis gets into the car missy danger uh, pulls up in hers she gets out and she's like oh you're going to get the cats uh, and, and then he's like yeah nuts cut off yes thank you for introducing that colorful phrase in my daughter's vocabulary and then missy doesn't say anything she just grabs the launch from her car and and he's like how's your belly ache and she's like no better no worse so he goes hey you know i can take a look at your 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 belly aches or whatever and she says it'll pass it always does and she just goes into the house and rachel walks out of the household engaged and she, to, to see lewis off and she's like um are we still friends doc and then they kiss and it's all good they've made up right feeling good in the moment for now here. for now so then we do a hard cut to a just a chaotic scene, right? We're outside of this building. We don't know where we are, but a man has been hit by a truck uh, and people, a crowd of people are carrying him up a, uh, a flight of stairs into this building. And now this br- man's brains are exposed, you know? Yeah. We, we think uh, a, one of these semi trucks is just fucking slammed into his body and he's, his brain is wrecked and he's totally, he's dying. Yeah. It looks pretty serious. So they take him to this building and it's the hospital at the college. Right. And, and Lewis is called in to take charge and they bring him into this room. And, uh, Lewis is like, go get an ambulance and they leave him alone with the patient. Right. And you can hear somebody in the background says, who is it? And then another person says it's Pascal. So it's quiet in the room with Lewis and this man who lies there uh, totally still. And, uh, Lewis says to the guy, he's like, uh, yeah, I told Rachel not so much as a sprain today, my friend. Uh, Lewis closes his eyes with his fingers. And then suddenly the man awakes, right? He grabs Lewis by the shoulder, eyes wide. He coughs up blood right into Lewis's face. He says to Lewis, the soil of a man's heart is stonier, Lewis. And he's like, wait, how did you know my name? And he says, I'll come to you. And he's like, how did you know my name? And then the man dies. Right. This so is like his, this is his first day on the job too, right? As the doctor at the college, because it's a college student that got hit by a truck, right? I didn't know it was his first day. I guess that's implied. Yeah, maybe. Or we hadn't I thought seen, it was. Yeah, we hadn't seen anything about the about him being at work. So yeah, sure. This is his first day. I feel like it makes it worse. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's definitely worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe I just uh, added that. Myself. No, I mean, but well, it makes sense because you don't see him at all at any point. But it's like, how much of a flash forward is this? Because it does it some it kind of feels like it could be a flash. forward, But you don't know. We cut to Lewis asleep in his bed with Rachel. And then we hear, come on, Doc. And he looks over and there's Pascal in his doorway. Brains still exposed, blood all over his clothes. He says, we got places to go. And Lewis stares, petrified, looking at Pascal at his, as his apparition slowly fades. And he looks over at Rachel relieved you know he's like it's just a dream but then he looks over and it's pascal by his bedside and pascal says come on doc don't make me tell you twice and then he gets up and he, he walks out of the room and, and lewis is like what the hell you know he gets up and he starts following pascal and he says why are you here and and, and pascal says i want to help you lewis because you tried to help me he goes down into the cellar he's looking around for pascal he can't find him he's like look i don't want this i want to wake up and uh pascal's like who said you're dreaming and now he cuts to pascal walking down the path to the pet cemetery as Lewis follows behind him. And when they arrive, Pasco says, this is the place. This is a place where the dead speak. Lewis says, I, I, I want to wake up. And Pasco is like, don't go on, Doc. No matter how much you feel that you have to, do not go on to the place where the dead walk. And he points to the brush that we saw earlier. And uh, he's like, please, I just want to wake up. That's all. That's all. And, and Pascal rises into the air as, as Lewis lowers himself onto the ground to, into a fetal position. And as Pascal is floating away, he says, the barrier is not meant to be crossed. 
And Lewis is like, you were as good as dead when they brought you in. And Pascal's like, the ground beyond is sour. Dramatic, this ghost. <laughs> I know. I know. He's very dramatic. Not like Jack from uh, American Werewolf in London. He's a very yeah. casual ghost. You're like, who told you to talk this way? Yeah, he's like he's like he's like borderline old like Lewis. The ground beyond is sour. Yeah, this is very odd. Yeah. <laughs> but it works. It's spooky. That it is. That's for sure. So we're on Lewis's face, right? And then we kind of like the the light fades from dark into light on his face. We don't know where he is. We don't know if we woke up in the cemetery, but then we pan out because we hear children playing. So he's back in his bed. And uh, Rachel calls for him downstairs. She's like, you up, Doc? And he's like, I'm getting there. And he pulls the covers off of himself. And he sees that his feet are covered in mud because uh, he thought I was just dreaming. I wasn't really in the cemetery. But now it's confirmed. I think you were, pal. He changes the sheets and tries to ignore everything that happened. Right. Uh, we cut to later at that day in his office. He has Pascal's file in his hand with his picture on it. And, he, you know, he just throws it in the trash. He's like, let's just forget that ever even came up in my brain. That'll work. Yeah, that'll work. That'll do it. So we're back to the house where Ellie uh, is putting up Thanksgiving decorations. Lewis is playing with Gage. Ellie runs outside and Rachel comes down the stairs. She's ready to go somewhere. We don't know where quite yet. She tells Lewis that he shouldn't be home alone for Thanksgiving. You know, and, she, and Lewis tells her to, to he's like, just take the kids and go, uh, you know, because you're fucking your father. Uh, doesn't like me anyways. And uh, he'll be happy that, he's not, that I'm not there. I'm never going to be accepted into the, into the family. And so Rachel says, but I, I want you around. And he says, I'll be around plenty when you get back. Right. We cut to later that day. It's windy outside. Lewis gets a phone call from Mr. Crandall, who says that uh, he's like, hey, there's a cat on the edge of this lawn. Lewis walks a- across the street as a truck roars past him. Right. So Lewis leans down and takes a look at the corpse of the gray cat. And that's he's like, that's that's church. And Mr. Crandall's like, oh, it looks like he didn't suffer. Lewis is like, well, Ellie will suffer. She'll suffer plenty. And Mr. Crandall takes out a plastic bag and, and Lewis peels church's frozen body off of the lawn. Mr. Crandall's like, what, what are you going to do you know, with the body? And Lewis says, you know, he's like, I'll put it in the garage, bury him in the morning. Crandall asks him if he's planning on telling Ellie. And he's like, uh, you know, he's like, I got to mull it over. You know, maybe I'll just call her. And just tell her that I haven't seen the damn cat around, you know, and he's kind of he's really upset. You know, you can kind of tell he's like uh, he's on the verge of tears a little bit because he knows his daughter is going to find out about this and it sucks. Yeah. And then his wife made him promise that the cat was going to be OK, too. Yes, exactly. So Crandall lights up his cigarette and he says, uh, oh, I don't want you to spoil the holiday. And he says, uh, maybe there's a better way. And so we cut to the cemetery. Right. And Lewis says, uh, so what do we plan him in the circle? And Crandall's like place we're going. Is on the other side of that. And he points to the big shrubbery, the, you know, the fucking branches, all the ominous music. It's like a, it's like a 15 foot pile of like dead, twisted branches. And yes, like, yes, yeah. exactly. This is the place Pascal said, Hey, Lewis, don't go over there. Uh, Lewis is like, you know, he's, he's like, I, you know, we'll break our necks climbing up there. It's very high. And Crandall's like, yeah, you just got to step in the right places, you know? So follow me. So Lewis takes him up over the hill. Lewis makes his way up, but he slips at one point when a tree branch breaks and he falls all the way down the side of the hill. Crandall comes up and he's like, Lewis, are you okay? He helps him up. He says, uh, what did he say? I lost my happy thoughts there for a second. Bad sign already if you're almost breaking your neck on the way to the place you're going. And so like, you know. Yeah, maybe the, turn back. The tire swing breaking. The <laughs> These people yeah. need to watch more horror movies. Right? It's not reading the signs. Losers. It just seems like sometimes the writing's on the wall and you just, you know. People are in denial. Well, they're stupid. Okay, moments later, they're making their way through the woods, right? Nothing good ever happens in the woods, Norm MacDonald would say. A spooky howling wind. 
And Lewis is like, what the hell is that? And then Crandall hushes him for a second as the sound dies down. And he says, just a loon, that's all. And we crossfade to them on like on a cliff. You know, they're like on the side of this mountain, right? Granite cliff. Yeah. Yeah. There's all these big rocks and they're climbing up there and Crandall's climbing to the top and he's like, almost there, Lewis. And Lewis is like, you keep saying that. And he's like, this time I mean it. They come across like this big plateau, this massive open area on top of the mountain. Right. Lewis is like, what is this place? And we see that they're from a helicopter view. It's like this big, massive circular symbol. Do you know anything about this symbol, Joe? It's it's made of like piles of rocks, right? It's like somebody's like arranged a bunch of rocks like around right. in like a big circular looks like a kind of like a fucked up dream catcher almost, but it's like giant and made of rocks and on the ground. Yes. Yeah. It's very spooky. And Crandall mm-hmm. says this was their burial ground. And, and Lewis is like, who's? And he's like the Micmac Indians. He says, I brought you here to bury Ellie, Ellie's cat. And he's like, why? For God's sake. He's like, I said, why, Judd? And he's like, I have my reasons. He says, uh, soil's thin, but you'll manage. And he uh, gives him a shovel. He's like, I'm going to go have a smoke. Uh, he's like, but you you got to do it yourself. Each buries his own. And Lewis walks uh, and Lewis gets to work. Right. And, and he picks up his pickaxe and he throws it down. And it's really tough soil. It sparks fly. Right. But he's going to be there for a while. So we cut to later in the night and he's finished finally burying the cat. And they start making their way back to the house. And as they're coming ac- upon the house, uh, Lewis hears the phone ring and he runs in, but he missed the call. Crandall tells him, Lewis, don't mention a word about what we've done tonight. And uh, Lewis says, what did we do tonight, Judd? Because he doesn't know. And Crandall's yeah, just like, all right, we're just going out into the way the fuck out into the woods to this crazy, you know, First Nations burial site burying a cat. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what did we do, buddy? And so uh, Crandall steps in closer to him and he says, what we did was a secret thing. Women are supposed to be the one who are good at keeping secrets. Any woman who knows anything will tell you she's never seen into a man's heart. The soil of a man's heart, Lewis, is stonier. Yeah, but that's the same thing that the fucking ghost said to women, (laughs) you know? That's right. Which is not a good sign. Not good. Lewis's eyes uh, widen and he sees a vision of Pascal awaking from his hospital bed. So then Crandall leaves the house, right? Lewis picks up the phone to call his family. Crandall watches him from across the street as a truck roars past. Lewis gets on the phone with his daughter. He's so happy to hear his daughter's voice. You know, she's like, how's church, daddy? Does he miss me? He says, well, uh, you know, I haven't, I guess he's just, uh, he's just fine. I haven't seen him in uh, this, this evening. And she's like, make sure you put him down in the cellar before you go to bed so he doesn't run out into the road and and, and also kiss him goodnight for me. And Lewis is holding back tears and he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Does he Wait. say kiss your own cat? He's like holding back tears, but he says, yuck, kiss your own cat. And Ellie laughs and she puts on Gage and Gage, Gage says, hi, hi, daddy, I love you. And Lewis just stares off. He's stoic. You know, he feels horrible about everything. So the next day, Lewis is raking leaves outside. He's not really doing a great job. There's still leaves everywhere. Uh, then he goes into the cellar to put the rake away. Right. And then church appears. And he and he he roars at Lewis and he's got these big yellow eyes and it freaks Lewis out so much that he screams and falls to the ground. He's like, Jesus, church. And then moments later, he steps outside with food. He's got food for church now. And he's and then church runs up and starts eating out of the bowl. And he's like shocked. You know, he's like, what the fuck? He, he chewed his way out. He's all like dirty and fucked up looking too. Yeah, right? he's, he's dirty and fucked giant, up. And he's like glowing eyes. Yeah, giant glowing eyes. And he's all like smells. And then, and then he snarls at Lewis and claws his face and runs off, leaving Lewis with this like these bloody slashes on his face. We cut to Crandall's house and, and he's invited Lewis over for a beer. Lewis says he tried to tell himself that he buried Church alive, you know, and Crandall tells him that his body was frozen to the ground. He's like, there's no way he was alive. 
And Lewis says he feels like he's going crazy. And then we hear another truck roar by, right? Crandall tells the story of his dog, Spot. You know, he's like, you got caught on barbed wire. He's like, the rag man told him about the burial. I don't know who the rag man is. Uh, Crandall says uh, his dog came back like this rabid and growling monster. He's like, he died again later on. Uh, and he's like, I had to bury him in the pet cemetery. He tells Lewis that although the church may never be the same, uh, it might help Ellie deal with death in the proper way. Maybe with more time, she'll learn what death really is, which is uh, where the pain stops and the good memories begin. Lewis says, has anyone ever buried a person up there? And that startles Mr. Crandall. He, oh, what? No. And he knocks over a beer. Right? I never, you know, that kind of attitude. Yeah. And he says, uh, Christ on his throne. Uh, no. And, and whoever would. We cut to Lewis, right? And he's drawing a bath for himself. He places a rag over his face uh, and suddenly a dead rat drops into his bath. And Lewis is, ah, ah, he screams, grabs it, throws it out of the tub. And Church sits on the windowsill with his yellow eyes. And he's like, yeah. And Lewis throws the cat out the door. Right? He's like, motherfucker. Cut to Lewis uh, meeting his family as they exit the plane. Right? So Lewis's family is now coming home and he's saying hello. Thanksgiving's over. Ellie tells her dad, she's she's like, I had a dream that Church got hit by a car. And, and, and you and Mr. Crandall buried him in the pet cemetery. And Lewis is like, huh, that's so weird that you would have that dream. Then we cut to later in the night as, as Ellie is letting Church into the cellar. And she's like, phew, you smell so bad, Church. And she goes, he, she sits with her family in the living room. And she's like, can we get the cat washed? And Rachel's like, oh, you got to have a professional do it. And it's expensive. And then Ellie's like, I'll pay for it. We cut to someone writing a note. Right. We see there's a note. Not, I couldn't make out entirely what it was, but it was all about having cancer and being in pain. And at the end, it says, I'm sorry. Right. Mm. And then we cut to these feet walking down the stairs into a basement. And we see that the person is Missy and she is preparing to hang herself in her basement. And uh, she climbs up, uh, up onto this table, takes a moment and steps off. And that's the end of Missy. And we cut to the burial. Really going to miss her, you know? Yeah, really going to miss her all her laundry and uh not uh having sex yeah she's like a lady in cell like yeah she kind of was you know it's gonna be a big inconvenience though to lewis and rachel because they're gonna have to find another servant to do all their household chores yeah another old lady to be mean to yeah uh, so now we're at the burial of of missy right and it's 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 stephen king yeah is the, yeah he's the uh, the priest he's the priest and he says uh and now may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord make his face shine upon you and comfort you and lift you up and give you peace amen um i just wanted to read that whole prayer because it was stephen king and uh cheers it's a good cameo good cameo so lewis ellie and crandall get up from their chair to leave and crandall asks if rachel isn't feeling well and lewis says he's just got a touch of the flu and crandall says poor missy you know, she still had a bunch of years left in front of her. And uh, why would God take her? Uh, he lets an old fart like me go on and on. And Lewis tells him, you know, an old saying that his father used to tell him. He says, God sees the truth, but waits. And Crandall sits with that for a moment. He's like, how's your cat doing? Lewis says, it's Ellie's cat. And Crandall says, no, it's your cat now. And then he walks away. Cut to Lewis watching TV later that evening. Ellie walks in and asks him if uh, he thinks Missy went to heaven. And then we hear we see Rachel again in the uh, kitchen listening. And Lewis says, you know, some people believe in heaven or hell. Some people believe we come back as children. Others believe we just wink out like like a, like a candle flame when the wind blows hard. And she says, is that what you believe, Daddy? Lewis looks over to church who is howling at him with yellow eyes. Uh, <laughs> and then he looks... And he's like, uh, I, I, th I think we go on. 
you know, I, I'll ha- I have faith in that. This makes Ellie feel good. You know, she she's very happy. But Rachel is in the kitchen. She's crying with her demon cat, the demon fucking cat with its yellow eyes. Clearly smells. It's a dead cat. It even smells if you, of death. And even if you didn't know that cats could come back to life, you'd be like, that cat is a walking dead cat. Yeah. We cut to Lewis lying in bed. Rachel enters and tells Lewis that she's like, I heard you talking to Ellie. He says he knows. And then she's like, look, I, I don't approve of the subject of death. We're talking to her about it. She she's, she, she, just, she gets scared, you know, and uh, he's like, uh, why are you afraid of dying? And then Rachel reminds him of his, of her sister. Lewis goes, uh, yeah, yeah, I know she died. Spinal meningitis, you know, and he says that a little harshly again. That's like, another, this is the way he talks is a little harsh, you yeah. know? He's like, like, she's like, yeah, oh, we all about heard my... about your dead sister. Yeah, you got a dead sister, right? That's the biggest. Well, her greatest quality is she died. So, so then Rachel tells this horrifying tale of her sister. Right, her sister was sick, you know, with spinal meningitis, and we kept her in the back room like this dirty little secret. And we see Rachel as a child bringing her sister food, and uh, when she opens the door, her her sister is curled up in a fetal position on the bed. Um, and her skin is like a pale green and her bones are protruding through her skin. You know, it's just like a very like unfortunate looking woman. She's like, a, you know, we would feed her, but we hated it. You know, and we were all just wishing that she would die. And uh, this is a very dramatic monologue from Rachel here. You know, she's like, oh, by the way, too, uh, Joe. So I looked up spinal meningitis. Uh, it does, nobody looks the way that this woman did. No, <laughs> no, it's a very... I guess maybe a very severe case. If anyone knows of anyone who's ever looked like this from spinal meningitis, let me know. I, yeah. She looks like she's, you know, like on the verge of death, right? Just all emaciated bones sticking out. Like yeah. Eyes, and also, like, but also like that her fucking bone structure has uh, shifted and changed, you know, into something that is uh, not commonly known as human. Right. Yeah. She's pretty nightmarish looking. Yeah, and I feel like it's a little uh, offensive to anyone who's ever had spinal meningitis. Whatever, who cares? The story is very tragic, though. Uh, she says they wanted her to die so that she couldn't feel any pain and also that they wouldn't feel any more pain. She's like, she started to look like a monster. Even now, when I wake up and, and, and think, is Zelda dead yet? And that's her sister's name. One day, she says Zelda started to convulse and choke, and, and she feared. She's like, if, if my parents come home, then I'm, they're going to think that I murdered her. They'd say I did it because I hated her. And, and that was true. And she said all the neighbors watched her scream that her sister was dead, right? She says, uh, they thought I was crying, you know, but, but, but you know what? I, I think I was laughing. And then Lewis hugs her. Tell, I, this is, a, again, I will say with Lewis, buddy, uh, I mean, why would you even be surprised that she is uncomfortable with death? You know, like the idea that she's like, I just get uncomfortable about death. And he's like, Why? Not a subject that's ever made anyone uncomfortable before. Right. She was like, he, Lewis hugs her and he's like, look, if you were laughing, I salute you for that. And if I ever needed another reason to not like your mother and father, I have one now. He's like, you should never have been with her alone. You know, where was the nurse? She was probably clinically insane by then. And he gets up and she says, where are you going? He says, I'm going to get you a Valium. And she says, but you know, I don't take him. And then he looks at her and he says, tonight you do. And then we cut. We cut to a truck driver preparing his big rig at the station. It's a big ass red truck. The young man driving throws on the Ramones, I think. Yeah, Sheena is a punk rocker. Hell yeah. Takes off speeding down the road, right? We cut to the Creed family with Mr. Crandall, and they're all having a picnic in a field near the house. Lewis is flying a kite, and they cheer him on. Uh, Lewis hands the kite to Gage. Cut back to the truck driver, 
who's flying down the road and he's jamming out to the Ramones, you know, and uh, he's singing along gear. badly. Like he doesn't Sing, know the lyrics, doesn't but. know the lyrics. He shifts gears and picks up speed. We cut back to Gage flying the kite as his family cheers him on. And uh, he drops the spool on the ground. And Ellie says, uh, it's got away from him, that numb shit. And then everyone laughs. And you're like, oh, 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 wow, this kid is fucking insane. And uh, Gage is like, I dropped it. And Ellie calls for Lewis that it's her turn now. And, and Lewis turns around to her and the kite pulls the spool further and further away. And Gage starts following it. And uh, he continues to follow it towards the road. As we see Gage running towards the road, uh, we pan and we see that the big rig is making its way uh, into frame. And Crandall sees this and he drops his food and he says, don't let the boy go into the road. And then Lewis turns around and he's like, oh, fuck. And so he starts sprinting towards uh, Gage, right? As fast as he can, all of the power in his body that he has. Rachel screams, get the baby, get the baby. And then Gage steps into the road, retrieves the kite. And then he looks up. The truck driver sees Gage the last minute and tries to swerve. But before he can, he runs right over Gage. We hear the body run over. We see a shoe roll on the ground and we see the kite flying in the wind. And as we pan over from the wreckage, we see Lewis and he screams, no. And as he screams, flashes of light reveal various photographs of Gage's birth, his first bath, his first birthday, his family raising him. And uh, we land on a photo of his face held by two hands as they gingerly toss it into a pile only to pick up another one. And Lewis, it's him staring at Gage. Pretty devastating. This is like the one of the saddest moments in the movie. Probably the most famous moment, too. Um, yeah. It's a fucking horrible thing that you just don't see in movies a lot. No. And like, you know, there's small details like the if you look at the I think there's when you see like there's like a number on the truck. It's got like a six, six, six on the truck. Oh, really? Runs him over. Yeah. Oh, that's on fun. the license plate or somewhere and like not graphic because like they don't show. They just show like a, a, a slightly bloody shoe. Yeah. Is all you see of it. Yeah. Mary Lambert uh, in an interview said, she, you know, she was before she had her kids. She had kids a couple of years later and was like, yeah, I don't think I could have gone to that place. So bad. You know, after I had my kids. So uh, Crandall enters into the kitchen and he softly speaks to Lewis as Rachel finally fell asleep after the sedative kicked in. And Lewis is catatonic. Ellie walks into the room with a photo in her hand and Crandall takes a look at the photo and it's it's Ellie and her little brother Gage in a red wagon. Crandall tells her how that moment, uh, how great it must have been. He's looking at Lewis while he's talking. You know, he's trying to do his best to make Lewis feel a little better. Ellie says she's she's going to carry the picture with her until God lets Gage come back. Crandall grabs Ellie and he tells her God doesn't do things like that. She says God can if he wants to, and she's going to keep Gage's things waiting for his return. Lewis tells Ellie, he's like, that's enough. And then she runs out of the room crying. Crandall tells Lewis, he's like, take care of your little girl. She needs you. Ellie is heard sobbing in the background. Lewis says nothing. And we cut to the funeral. Lewis watches over the coffin as the service lets out. Rachel's father approaches behind him and he tells him, I knew that something like this would happen. I told her, if you marry him, you'll have all the grief you can stand. Now look at this. He's screaming at uh, Lewis at this point. Right. He says, uh, brutal. He's like, I hope, I hope you rot in hell. You know, he's like, where were you when he was playing in the road? And Lewis is just like shattered. He doesn't know how to react. He's like, this is, there's so much pain happening in my whole body and my whole life. And now you're adding to it, telling me that it's my fault. I can't, I can't, I can't handle that. Rachel's dad goes, you stinking shit, you killer of children. And then he punches him in the face at the fucking church. 
And uh, the place goes into a riot, you know, and Rachel's like, daddy. And so daddy keeps uh, kicking the shit out of Lewis. And uh, Lewis throws daddy off of him right into the coffin. And the coffin spills over off of the stand onto the ground. When it hits the ground, Lewis catches a glimpse of the coffin door opening a few inches. And he sees one of his son's hands for a split moment. And that breaks his brain. He's like, yeah. and he gets up and he starts making his way over to daddy again, right? To kick the fucking shit out of him. But, uh, but then a friend of his like grabs him and he's like, Dude, yo, Hey, this is your, this is your son's funeral. You know, it kind of snaps him out of the moment. So we cut to later that night as Lewis puts Ellie to bed. And before he leaves the room, Ellie says, daddy, God could take it back if he wanted to. Couldn't he? Could I have faith in that? And Lewis hesitates, but then he says, yes. And he walks out into his bedroom. Church sits on top of uh, Rachel, eyes glowing, howling at him. And he's like, you fuck. He's like, Get the fuck, fuck off, hairball. He throws him out of the, the room, right? We cut to Mr. Crandall, and he's, he's coming upstairs from the cellar of, of Lewis's place. And Church runs by him into the cellar. Lewis comes down and tells Mr. Crandall, he's like, Judd, I, uh, I buried my son today. He sits down to have a drink. And he's like, I'm, I'm tired, so let's just not talk about anything. And Crandall's like, you're thinking thoughts best not thought of, Lewis. I'm responsible for more pain in your heart than you should have tonight. And Lewis is like baffled. He's like, whoa, whoa come on. Well, you're talking crazy. Crandall's like, you're thinking of putting him up there. And, and he sits down and he tells Lewis, he's like, even though he told him that, that nobody's buried a human up there, he, he's like, I, I lied. You know, it's been done. He says there was a local boy. And uh, towards the end of the Second World War, Timmy Baderman, we flash back. He says he was killed on his way home from World War II. His father, Bill Baderman, was grief struck. You know, we see a small white house. Two older women are getting into a car and we see an old man in the background sobbing in this chair. Crandall's like, so he buried his son up there. He says before uh, before he ever had the chance to get to the bottom of the truth. This guy, Bill Baderman, right? He opens the a case which contains a purple heart. And uh, Lewis says, I'll bite, Judd. What, what's the bottom of the truth? And Crandall says, sometimes death is better. So he tells him that uh, the person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. Ominous music plays as we see a man. We assume this is Timmy Baderman, right? He's uh, he's by this house at night and he's digging into the ground. And uh, we reveal that he's got a, like a leg, like a human leg in his hand. Crandall says, uh, it may look like the person, but whatever lives in the ground beyond the pet cemetery ain't human at all. And Timmy Baderman reaches his hand out uh, over his face and he starts digging his fingers into his skin, you know, causing blood to ooze and his skin to cave in. And uh, he gurgles in agony. And so Crandall says, uh, four or five days after Timmy's funeral, that Margie Washburn saw Timmy walking up the road towards Yorkie's livery. Livery? Livery? Anyways, we see Tommy staggering his way. You know, he's walking up to this house and uh, there's this woman outside. She sees him. She's horrified. She runs back into the house. Crandall's like, uh, as time went by, lots of folks saw Timmy walking back and forth. Uh, Crandall's like, he says it was Margie who told the men in the town that, that this had to be stopped. She knew it was an abomination. So a few men in the town get in their car and they drive to Baderman's to kill Tony or to kill Timmy. And uh, we uh, we see them pull up to the house one night. Timmy is in the house with his father, but he's he's agitated, right? He's throwing things around the house and his father's trying to keep him calm. The men run towards the house screaming, he's got to be stopped. And you can hear a young Crandall uh, in that group. He's like, he's a monster, Bill. They start torching the whole house, which uh, might be a little excessive. The whole house. So Bill screams for his son. Uh, and they, but then they grab Bill and they drag him out of the house and they let fucking Timmy burn in the house. And then Crandall says, Lewis, sometimes dead is better. And the house is completely engulfed in flames. He says the Indians knew that 
They stopped using the burial and the ground went sour. And he tells Lewis, don't do it. The place gets holier, but the place is evil. Sometimes dead is better. He says, uh, he asked Lewis, you know, he's like, do you see what I'm getting at? Do you understand? So Lewis says, you're telling me that that place knew that Gage was going to die. And Crandall starts to sob. And through his tears, he says, I'm saying that the, the, the place, you know, might have made Gage die because I introduced you to the power. Right. He's like, I may have murdered your son, Lewis. And he slams his hand down on the table and he cries as Lewis stares at him. Cut to the next day. Lewis and Rachel are at the airport. Lewis is like, uh, this could be the beginning of a of patching things up with your folks. You know, if something good doesn't come out of Gage's death, Ellie tells her grandparents that she she's like, I don't want to go to Chicago because I had a dream last night about daddy and Gage and, and someone named Pax Cow. So this is unsettling, right? Her dreams seem to be revealing truths. Rachel's dad sees Lewis and he, he, he apologizes for everything that he did. He said he lost his mind. Lewis stares blankly at him, devoid of emotion. He says, we all lost our minds, Irwin. And, and there's this awkward moment. Irwin reaches out his hand to shake. Lewis lightly and limply grips his hand for a moment. Rachel and her parents take this in, right? And they all just kind of sit there for a moment awkwardly, but then they head onto the plane. Lewis says goodbye to Ellie. She begs for him to come with them, but she says she's scared, makes Lewis swear that everything's going to be okay. And he swears. We cut to him later unloading his car with shovels. And he's at the cemetery where Gage was buried. He runs up to Gage's tombstone and he sits beside it. He says, it's wrong. What happened to you is wrong. Pascal appears and says, remember, Doc, the barrier was not meant to be crossed. The ground is sour. And uh, then Lewis begins to cry. He says, if it doesn't work, if, if he comes back and he's like Judd said, like Timmy Baderman, I'll just put him back to sleep. We, we see a shot of pictures on a wall at, at Rachel's childhood home. And then we hear Lewis talking over this. He says, and, if, and, and they don't have to know. You know, Rachel and Ellie don't ever have to know. We hear Rachel crying. She's screaming for her mommy, right? Rachel runs in. She says, honey, you just had a bad dream. And Ellie says, it wasn't a dream. It was Pax Cow. He says, daddy's going to do something really bad. And, and Rachel's like, who is this Pax Cow? You know, is he like the boogeyman? She says, he's a ghost, but he's a good ghost. He's, he was sent to warn us. He says he's close to daddy because he was near him when his soul was this, this, this. And she collapses onto the bed. She says, I can't remember. Rachel's like, there's no ghosts. Just go to sleep. And I love you. And this is all nonsense. She's like, we please just get, go call daddy and make sure he, he's okay. And she's like, sure. So she walks on the hallway and she's like, Pascal, like what Pascal? And then Pascal appears next to her. And he says, uh, he says, Pascal. And then Rachel's like, Pascal. Was, was she saying Pascal? So she, then she hears Ellie's words echoing in her mind. This, this, this. And then Pascal says, discorporated and rachel suddenly she she runs down the stairs to get to the phone right we cut to lewis who's digging up his son's body and he says i'm gonna bust you out son and we cut to their farmhouse the phone is ringing but nobody's there to answer rachel's trying to get through it as her, her parents just uh watch her she hangs up and she says she says he's not home her mother says he probably just went out for a hamburger or a chicken dinner you know how men are when they're alone uh, rachel calls mr crandall and uh, Crandall picks up. She tells him, you know, she's like, we're in Chicago. We're going to be here for a while. And he asks, he's like, is Lewis with you? And she's like, no, no, he, he's, he's stayed at home. And, and uh, she's like, is, is, is Lewis with you? And he's like, no, no, I, he's a little put off now. He's like, you know, if he drops by, I'll, I'll give you a call. 
And Rachel says, you know, I'm just going to come home. And Crandall's like, no, 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 don't do that. And then she hangs up. A police car pulls up to the graveyard and kind of like looks for uh, Lewis with the spotlight, but she, but they can't find him because he ducks into the grave. Right. And uh, then Lewis starts to laugh, you know, he's like, oh yeah. And he gets back to work. Cuts to Mr. Crandall, who's walking onto his porch with some beers. He's talking to himself. He's like, you've done it. You stupid old man. Now you've got to undo it. Lewis finally reaches the coffin, right? He pulls it out. He places it on the ground. He opens it and he sees his boy. He says, oh, Gage. Cut to a moment later. And he is cradling Gage's corpse in his arms. And he says, it's going to be all right. And we cut back to Rachel's home, right? Dark music is playing. All the pictures on the wall are crooked and some are cracked. Rachel walks down the hallway and she opens the door where Ellie sleeps. But instead of Ellie on the bed, we see that it's Zelda, her sister. So her sister shoots up from the bed and looks at her. She says, I'm coming for you, Rachel. And this time I'll get you. Gage and I will get you for letting us die. And then Rachel runs out of the room uh, as her sister just laughs maniacally. And then Rachel, Rachel wakes up and she's on a plane. She was just dreaming. And we see Pascal sitting in, the, in another row behind her, smiling proudly. He's like, cool, we're doing it. We're going to save the day, right? Cuts to Rachel rushing through the airport, making her way through the crowd, trying to make her connecting flight. Um, do we need all this? I think it's necessary because like it's like every it's like the universe is like trying to stop her from like getting on this plane and getting yes. back. All these but different like, things. Pascal keeps like interfering and keeps like. Yeah, holding the door open or doing these other things to like That's help right. her get there. As the gate agent tries to shut the door, Pascal holds it, you know, and he says, don't do it, babe. Rachel makes her way down the ramp, trying to get on the plane, but it might be too late. We cut to Crandall, who is now passing out, right? He's on his porch. Cut to Lewis, right? Making his way through the pet cemetery and up the hill to the, bur- the, to the burial ground. He says, I'm not going to stop, Gage. We cut to the gate agent telling Rachel, she says, there's no more rental cars. And Pascal stands next to her and he says, what about the Aries K with the scratched side? The agent says, almost hypnotized. She says, I do have an Aries K, but it came up rather late and there's a big scrape along the side. And Rachel says, I'll take it, right? We cut to Lewis making his way up the cliff. Uh, he's almost there. We hear a man's voice, right? It says, Lewis. And uh, he looks back and there's like a, a small body of water and this man's face shoots out of the body of water and it, like very close, like this 3D kind of thing into uh, Lewis's face. And uh, then the face disappears. I don't know whose face that was. Yeah, I don't know. I was like, it it looked vaguely like it was supposed to be Judd Crandall's face, but I'm not really sure. But yeah, that was the weirdest moment. It was just like this face comes out and then disappears like something out of Beetlejuice. Yeah, not really a need. I don't think he needed it. No. So Lewis is like, that was just my imagination, right? And he arrives at the burial ground. We cut to Rachel zooming down the road in her car, but then her tire pops and she swerves off to the side of the road into a ditch. Nah, she's like, now what? Pascal appears and says, it's trying to stop you. And Rachel, Rachel can't hear Pascal. She's like, is anyone there? You know? And uh, so now we cut back to Lewis. He has buried his boy. He says, come back to me, Gage. He says, come back to us. And he leaves. He arrives at the cellar. Church is looming, watching him. And then we cut back to the rubble where he buried Gage. And a little hand reaches out from the rubble. And it's Gage. We hear him whimper, right? Uh, Rachel is making her way down the road. A truck passes by as she flags it down. The truck stops and the driver says, hop in, babe. And uh, she does. Uh, We cut to the cellar door being unlocked from the other side. We hear Gage growling. He opens the door and steps into the house. Lewis is asleep in his bed. His bedroom opens. We see Gage's shadow make its way into the room, but then he goes not to to his father's bedside. He goes into the closet and he opens Lewis's doctor's bag, right? And removes from it a scalpel and like this little case. Crandall is asleep, but he's startled uh, awake by a sound. 
and uh, he looks over at Lewis's house and he sees that the, there's a bedroom light on and he's like, oh my. So he goes into his house and he hears Gage's giggling in his house. He, there's a ball drops on the floor into Lewis's living room out of nowhere. And he's like, who's there? You know, and Gage says, let's play hide and go seek. <laughs> we hear his little footsteps running above. Crandall continues looking around. A bunch of like plates and pans fall from upstairs. And so he heads up there. You know, he's like, are you playing games? And he makes his way into his room. You know, and he takes out a pocket knife for uh, protection. He's like, Gage, come on out. I brought you something. He goes into his room and he's looking around and we hear laughter continue, but we don't see Gage. So Crandall slowly makes his way under the bed and peeks under. So suddenly Church appears and startles Crandall. Mm -hmm. And then he uh, he looks over at Church and he's like, where did you come from? And as he's looking at uh, Church, Gage reaches the scalpel from under the bed and cuts Crandall's Achilles heel. Uh, and then he just screams yeah. and he falls over in pain. Slices his tendon right open. That, that yeah. is like one of the most brutal scenes of the movie. It's a horrible moment in any movie. Uh, so Gage steps into the light holding the scalpels. He slashes uh, Crandall across the mouth, like directly fucking just across both sides of his mouth. That nice Joker scar. Yeah, a little Joker scar. And then he uh, Gage leans down and, and uh, begins to eat Crandall's throat out. And uh, Crandall tries to get away, but it's just too late. Cut to the truck, pulling up to the house. Rachel gets out and thinks the truck. Uh, Rachel gets out and thanks the truck driver. Pascal uh, appears and he's sitting in the passenger seat and he says, think nothing of it. And the truck driver uh, is like, don't worry about it. Pascal says, it's, it's the end of the line for me, too. I'm not allowed any further. She says, I'm sure things will be fine. And Pascal says, I'm not. And then they drive away. So she turns to her house, but she hears her uh, sister's call from Crandall's and Gage is giggling. So she heads over there instead. She gets to the front door and Church appears behind her and startles her. You know, he licks blood from his paw. She makes her way inside. Uh, she hears an awful moaning. She's like, Judd, are you up there? She makes her way up the stairs slowly. She hears Zelda calling for her, Rachel. And uh, she walks into Judd's room. Zelda's voice is terrifying too. Zelda's voice is horrifying. Yes. Yeah. And and she looks into Judd's room and Rachel is like squatting in the corner facing the wall. And, and uh, Zelda's like, Rachel, is that you? She turns towards Rachel and she says, I finally came back for you, Rachel. And uh, she she makes her way. She starts walking up to Rachel and she says, I'm going to twist your back like mine so you can never get out of bed again. And Zelda just keeps laughing, you know, as Rachel closes her eyes. She hears Rachel's laughter turn into the giggling of Gage. Then she opens her eyes and she sees Gage and he's like in a coat and a top hat with a cane. Yeah. A little weird outfit. Yeah. And she's like, oh, Gage. And Gage says, I brought you something, mommy. Uh, we cut to black here and we hear Gage slash Rachel and Rachel screams. The screams carry over into the morning as Lewis is startled out of bed and he falls over, hits his head on the nightstand and he notices muddy footprints on the floor. He notices his medicine bag left open on the floor and he he sees the case to his scalpel. It's empty. Now, and then we cut to Lewis downstairs looking around the house. Suddenly the phone rings and he answers and it's Rachel's father, Erwin. And he asks if Rachel made it back. Okay. And he's like, yeah, yeah, she's fine. And Erwin's like, can you put her on? You know, I, I you know, and I'd like to talk to her and Ellie is worried about her. And, and Lewis notices Gage's muddy footprints leading down into the cellar. Lewis is like, Rachel's asleep. And Erwin's like, you best wake her up. And uh, he's like, look, I can't talk. And he hangs up the phone. And he makes his way down to the cellar. And then the phone rings again and he answers it. And he says, Erwin, I said, I can't talk to you anymore. And then it's, but it's Gage's voice. And he says, I'm at judge daddy. Will you come over and play with me? 
And uh, she's like, first I played with Judd. Then I played with mommy. Uh, Will you come play with me, daddy? We had an awful good time. And he's like, what did you do? Engage laughs. And he's like, what did you do? And then we cut to a shot of a syringe being prepared. He's uh, Lewis is getting like this, uh, some kind of lethal injection. And uh, we see a truck roar by as Lewis is making his way towards Judd's house. Church is watching uh, Lewis and, and Lewis throws him a steak. And Church hisses at him, but then he begins eating the steak. And he says, eat it while you can. Today is Thanksgiving for cats. And he puts on latex gloves and he takes out a syringe. He says, but only if they came back from the dead. He grabs Church and sticks him with the syringe. And Church howls and lies down limp. And he says, go on, lie down. Play dead. Be dead. And Church is dead. Lewis sees Rachel's duffel bag on the front porch. And so he makes his way into the house calling for Gage. Now the house is dark and dilapidated and foggy and mossy and fungus growing all over the walls. And it's all twisted and crazy. The yeah, floor sunken in. Nightmare house. Yeah. And he removes the latex glove uh, and covers his mouth. And he says, Gage, what have you done? And he calls for Rachel. Horrifying, ominous music comes from everywhere. Right. And he sees Rachel's heel at the bottom of the stairs and picks it up. The sounds stop. And then the house returns to normal. And Gage says, scared you, didn't I? Uh, he says, now I want to play with you. And Lewis takes out another syringe from his pocket. And he says, all right, Gage, let's play. And he makes his way upstairs. He checks the rooms, the bathroom. He didn't find anything. He hears Gage's laughter uh, down the hall. And he continues. He comes into Crandall's room. And he sees blood on the floor. sees Rachel's purse. He looks under the bed. And he finds Crandall's dead body. And he screams. And he hears Gage's laughter. And he gets up and he continues down the hall, right? He leaves the room. But then suddenly Rachel's body drops from the fucking ceiling. She's hung by a noose. She's got one shoe on. And uh, he looks up and he Ooh. sees Gage in the attic and he's laughing. And then Gage dump, jumps down onto Lewis, knocking him to the ground and biting on his chest. He slashes uh, at Lewis with the scalpel, making deep cuts into his body and forehead. Louis finally throws Gage across the hallway and he begins preparing the syringe. So Lewis is on the floor with the syringe being kind of like hiding. Uh, by his waist. Then Gage starts like running towards Lewis and uh, Lewis is like, come here. But then when Gage finally gets to Lewis, uh, we see flashes, you know, of, of him alive, flying the kite, a happier time. But then Lewis presses the syringe into his neck and Gage cries and screams. And it's really sad because it's a little baby boy, you know, mm -hmm. and um, it's uh, Lewis watches his son die for the second time. And, uh, and uh you get like gage like stumbles back and he's just saying like no fair yeah he's like no, no fair. fair and he walks down um down the hall and he falls onto a door and uh lewis sits in silence as his wife body as his wife's body uh sways back and forth we cut to lewis pouring gasoline all over the house and he sets it on fire and he carries his wife's body from the house as it goes up in flames right pascal appears and says i'm so sorry gage but please don't do it and lewis says he waited too long for gage he's like but rachel just died she's fresh you know and reanimator uh, logic reanimator logic which i don't get but we i will one day yeah uh, uh so he walks through pascal's apparition making his way to the burial pascal screams for him not to make the same mistake again lewis makes his way down the path we cut to later that night we see the same rubble and the rocks begin to move crandall's voice narrates the soil of a man's heart is stonier, Lewis. We see the tire swing. A man grows when he can. Then he tends it. A shot of the moon. Because what you buy is what you own. And what you own always comes home to you. Lewis sits in his kitchen, 
on the floor against the fridge. He pulls out a deck of cards and he shuffles them and he lays some cards out on the floor. Rachel enters. We see her legs, one shoe on. Lewis raises. He's very happy to see his wife. We see her face and we see that she's got one eye gouged out. Pus just starts oozing out as she says, darling. And Lewis kisses her passionately and aggressively and they just tongue each other hard. Yeah. And as they go at it, she reaches for a large knife on the table and rises it up. And we cut to black as we hear a slash and Lewis scream. No! And credits roll. That's the end. That's the end, Joe. Yeah. That was a long one. Yeah, uh, that was. was a lot of notes. I'll t- definitely do a lot of cutting. Yeah. I have a lot of notes too. So we'll have to probably cut a lot of mine also. Hell yeah. But yeah, yeah. Fades to black. She stabs Lewis. Yep. Totally dead, tragic dead. ending. You know, it's a I tragic guess. ending. Yeah. But uh, you, you couldn't, you can't let that guy get away alive. No, no. He, you know, he should have learned his lesson. Like, yeah. You know, because you wanted to grab him, you know, by the shoulders and be like, you're fucking an idiot. Yeah. Sometimes dead is better than, uh, you know, reanimated evil corpse. that's going to murder you. I would uh, say so. But yeah, I thought it was good. I thought it was a fun movie. You know, a lot of people agreed. It was a pretty big uh, commercial hit. Yeah. So uh, in terms of development, the initial film rights were actually sold to George A. Romero for $10,000. George Romero, who directed Night of the Living Dead and the many sequels. But he was too busy at the time making Monkey Shines to actually follow through and uh, make the movie. Oh, right on. Uh, Monkey Shines is a fun one. We'll get to uh, eventually. Development executives, uh, you know, advocated for it to be made at Embassy Pictures and then Paramount, but they were initially told there was no more demand for Stephen King films after a slew of adaptations of his films were made in the early '80s. They're like, everybody's tired of this Stephen King guy. Nobody wants to hear any more of his right, stuff. Yeah, right. You know, they were uh, wrong. Yeah, they only ended up reconsidering, and they were faced with a shortage of new productions due to the uh, Writers Guild of America strike in 1988. Oh. Yeah. Way to go, WGA. You know, hopefully yeah. improve conditions for writers and got this movie made. Yeah, I think the, WD, uh, the WGA is good. Yeah, yeah I'm they, a fan. They usually do a lot for their people. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So uh, Stephen King had final say on the choice of directors and was impressed with Mary Lambert's enthusiasm for the novel and commitment to stay faithful to the source, uh, source material. You see, you know, famously, like he really hated Kubrick's adaptation of The Shining for one, I know. But I think he was pretty happy with this one overall. Yeah, The Shining was uh, hated, right? By uh, yeah, Stephen by King. Stephen King. Everyone else likes it, but everyone else loves it. The original ending for Pet Cemetery was more ambiguous. Uh, it only showed the undead Rachel entering the kitchen where Lewis was playing solitaire, leaving his fate uncertain. Uh, Mary Lambert felt that this was a more spooky, sad, and tragic ending, but the studio felt that it was too tame, and and uh, the ending was reshot to be more graphic. Uh, featuring the gruesome special uh, effects prosthetics and the killing of Lewis at the end, which is alluded to when he screams after the fade to black. Totally. Yeah, I don't know. I like that ending. Maybe the studio was right in this case. I like it. No, I thought it was good. Yeah. I, you know, ambiguous is 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 good sometimes, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think it was seeing her face was was pretty crazy. Yeah, some pretty like yeah, the blood like oozing out of her skull and stuff. Like yeah, yeah pretty cool so uh after auditioning girls for the role of zelda uh lambert cast andrew hubitsek because she felt a grown man playing the role of a teenage girl deformed by spinal meningitis made the character more frightening yeah sure so that was a man yeah Mm -hmm. okay yeah and and, you know zelda is probably the scariest part of the movie 
I she's think. really upsetting. Yeah. But I think it would be scarier if if I saw more spinal meningitis cases that looked similar. You know, like <laughs> yeah, I, when, yeah. I, when I Google it and I'm like, oh, this just isn't what they uh, look like. You just fact checked it too hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes curiosity, you can't help it. Uh, yeah, the idea of a, a of a of a relative, uh, like a character's relative dying in like a really uh, hor- horrible way uh, is very disturbing. Yeah, definitely. So let's see. Uh, stipulated in his contract, the film was shot in Maine where it was set. Uh, and Stephen King wrote the screenplay himself, which I think I mentioned. Uh, Judd's house was actually a mock-up built around an existing house and was insulated with fireproof material so the mock-up could be burned without damaging the actual house underneath. Wow, that's crazy. You could build a fake house around a house and then burn it to the ground and have the house still be there. Build a house around a house. Never heard of it in my life. Nah, me either. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The approach to the Micmac burial ground was filmed in an abandoned granite quarry near Mount Desert Island. It's a real tribe who actually lived in the area. They lived in parts of northern Maine and Canada. That's kind of a a device that was used in a few 80s horror movies. Like uh, Poltergeist is also about an Indian uh, burial ground. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're like, why are these Indians haunting us? Yeah. What did we ever do? All we did was, you know... (laughs) commit genocide steal other land try to destroy their culture yeah and we're just trying to live a happy uh american dream and yeah you f- you're fucking us yeah my neighbors feels like they just turned up their music and started their shower I hope- are you hearing it yeah they must have brought their radio into the shower yeah uh, I mean, we can keep going. I, I mean, I can hear it will pick up on the pod, but well, uh, apologies. Not much I can really do about it. You know, I'll do what I can in the edit. Yeah. Uh, so despite being a box office hit and ultimately earning $89.5 million on a budget, 11.5 million, the film was mostly maligned by mainstream critics has a 51% on rotten tomatoes. Gene Siskel gave the film zero out of four stars, calling it, quote, sickening. Film historian Leonard Malton called the picture a, quote, bomb, his lowest possible rating, stating that despite being a box office smash, the picture's contempt for its audience should be obvious to even undiscriminating moviegoers. Still vastly superior to its sequel, though. Uh, Okay. What did uh, Ebert say? Did he say anything? Or is he... uh didn't have anything from ebert on this one but i don't think he liked it either yeah well they can all fuck off i think yeah well the thing is interesting like you know uh like horror publications saw it differently bloody disgusting it rated uh rated it 4.5 out of five stars stating that the plot alone would make for a scary movie but by injecting excellent atmosphere capable acting and generally nightmarish scenes pet cemetery is a truly effective horror flick and well worth the price of admission. Uh, Dread Central also gave it 4.5 stars and called it one of the best Stephen King adaptations. Nice. I tend to agree with them. There are some weird moments. But overall, good. uh, Pet Cemetery 2 was released in 1992 to poor reviews and a disappointing box office performance. Though the film referenced the original, it featured entirely new characters. I mean, it kind of has to, right? Yeah, I think I saw Pet Cemetery 2 first. I saw it on like TBS or something when I was a kid, heavily edited. Yeah, you can't have the same character characters because uh, I mean, I guess if you did Ellie all grown up. Yeah, well, actually, that was uh, that was Mary Lambert's original idea was to do a sequel about Ellie, the only survivor from the original. But they were like, uh, you know, at the time, they didn't think a uh, little girl could carry an entire movie. So I have uh, some notes here from this girl who wrote her master's thesis on 
on the movie Pet Cemetery. Sure, let's uh, hear it. It's called uh, Women Love Horror 2, the film adaptation of Pet Cemetery, and I wish I had her name. So uh, some comparisons to the novel. So it says, in the novel, Lewis is portrayed as feeling trapped in his marriage and fantasizing about changing his name and running away. His father-in-law is said to have offered to pay his way through med school if he's willing to break off his relationship with Rachel. Lewis uh, also throws the first first punch at Gage's funeral. The movie portrays Lewis Creed much more sympathetically than the book, which is uh, it's interesting that it's like uh, it was made by a woman director, but it's really kind of like a, a movie about men like who trying to control the things that they can't control. Yes. Uh, one of the defining themes of the film is that of fatherhood. In the book, upon meeting Judd, Lewis is said to have, quote, found his father noting that his real father died when he was three and that he never knew his grandfather. In the movie, this is not explicitly stated, but rather portrayed through how Lewis and Judd's relationship is depicted. Uh, the way that Lewis looks at Judd, the intimacy of their conversations, and how he looks up to him and the general bond of their relationship is used to convey this sense in the film. Uh, by leaving out the character of Norma, Judd's wife in the book, the film conveys a sense that this is about the male experience. Right. So, you know, we got a, uh, a movie, uh, a woman making a movie about men. As the tragic and gruesome elements of the story unfold, we, think, we see things fall apart for Lewis and him failing to meet his expectations for himself. During his first day on the job, he can't control the fact that his patient, Vic Victor Pascal, dies in his care. As a doctor, he could not save Pascal. What he likely thought would be a budding reputation of the good doctor in the community is off to a rough start. He heeds the advice of Judd and gets his, fa his family cat neutered so he won't go out into the road. Church still goes out into the road and dies. Lewis couldn't keep his family pet alive. Later, he fails to keep his own child out of the road and from death's grasp. Lewis fights to control the world around him until the end by burying his wife in the burial ground. His dogged attempt to maintain his family shows how desperate he is in his desire to be the kind of man whose family survives. Mm. Bringing the dead back to life is also a way for Lewis to feel he's successful in what many doctors like him want to be successful in, saving lives. The theme and haunting truth in the book, sometimes dead is better, goes against what a man might value in constructing his identity, such as principles that fathers and husbands protect their family and doctors have the most important job of saving lives. If dead is sometimes better, then a doctor isn't so important anymore. Mm. The reference in the book to castration likely King's intentional way of playing with the popular psychoanalyses of horror, mostly linked the, to the cat's medical procedure, further support the idea that this is a story of a man struggling to identify and fight for his manhood. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I think so. I think, yeah, we, uh, yeah you think about it, you know, it, that really is like ultimately what it comes down to. Totally. Um, here's a quote after the cat was neutered. Uh, Looking at church made Lewis feel sad. It was ridiculous, but that didn't change the emotion. There was no sign of Church's former feistiness. No more did he walk like a gunslinger. Now his walk was the slow, careful walk of the convalescent. He allowed Ellie to hand feed him. He showed no sign of wanting to go outside, not even to the garage. He had changed. Perhaps it was ultimately for the better that he had changed. Neither Rachel nor Ellie seemed to notice. Mm. I was left out of the movie, but mm. I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah. The last sentence in the above quote underlines a consistent feeling in the book and movie that Lewis is outside of his family. Uh, and there's some comments on gender ideology. Through her work, Lambert creates a fear of losing loved ones and losing control of one's life. She could have focused more on Rachel in the story and, differ and differed in that way from the book, 
but she stuck to Lewis and his attempts and failures at being the respected, powerful man he wants to be. In that sense, Lambert furthers a gender ideology message that King suggests in his original narrative. The narrative implies that trying to fit into gender stereotypes can set us up for disappointment so great that it makes us crazy. Mm. In Lewis's case, trying to retain control over his life and his family makes him cross major ethical lines. That is an important message for men and women to grasp. Suppose gender norms are not necessarily based on ethics and can be destructive on various levels, uh, on one's family, on one's mental health, and even on one's soul. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think it's a good, uh, you know, you don't want to try to fit too hard in those gender roles that you're, uh, you know, digging up your dead son. and Yeah. You want to refrain from that. Yeah. Don't dig up your dead kid. Don't bury your dead kid in a sacred burial ground. In a pet cemetery that's going to cause him to come back, you know. Yeah. As a demon. Yeah, at least, kill your wife and your neighbor. And At least we know now. Uh, Lambert's portrayal of that idea and Lewis's mental and emotional unraveling would likely connect to a viewer's real lives more than depicting an all-powerful burial ground. Uh, like they do in the book. We like Lewis. We would feel the hurt that Lewis feels after seeing his son mowed down the road. When that emotion we share, uh, we would share with Lewis lets the murderous evil in, we realize that we too could fall victim to something so dark as a zombie child if we faced, if faced with tragedy and the opportunity to control it. The whole thing, it makes sense, you know, in a twisted, fucked up way that he would be like, ah, I'm going to go save my son because your son just died. Mm-hmm. And someone is telling you that there is a way that your son can come back. Don't yeah. do it, but you know it's, he will be alive again. But don't. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, like it's like yeah, yeah. That was really Judd. Like his whole Judd Crandall, his whole thing was like, you can just bury him and he comes back, but don't do it. Yeah, don't, don't do it. Don't do be this a- thing that I showed you. At- yeah, the thing that would definitely bry your cat alive. Yeah. And now what? Your cat's a little weird. It's got yeah. yellow eyes. So what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's clearly evil. Yeah. It smells like death. Right. So your son comes back with yellow eyes. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, who cares? It's a quote from Mary Lambert. I, at the time, did not really think of myself as a horror director, but I was really drawn to this material because it wasn't just a gore fest or torture porn or teenagers getting murdered in the basement. Right. It had such a compelling story about obsession, and ultimately it was a family drama. It takes the emotion and the attachments that's present in a family group and shows the dark side of it mm-hmm. and takes it down the darkest path to the pet cemetery. So I really yeah. loved it. Yeah, dude. Me too. Me too. Uh, I just said I'm working with Stephen King. Uh, usually if I had an idea, I'd call him up and tell him and he'd be like, yeah, that's a great idea. And then he'd always put another cherry on top. He'd be like, yes, and then we'll do that. And then we'll really scare them. Uh, he's just like a big hit. He's so much fun to work with. He was there a lot. He was on set, but he wasn't there every day. And I never felt like he was looking over my shoulder, you know, to keep tabs on what I did or stop me from ruining the story. Yeah. It always felt like he was there to support me. It was great. Hey, that rules. Yeah. Nice I'm thing glad. to know about Stephen King. You yeah. Know? Yeah. He's any person, any writer can be pretty controlling over their work. So that's pretty cool. Glad. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I got. I feel oh, like hell that's yeah. enough. Anything yeah. else we want to say about Pet Cemetery? I don't know. Go watch it. You know, you can watch it on YouTube, Amazon. Um, it's it's really fun. It's a really enjoyable movie. Uh, so go 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 do that. Yeah, and I'd like to say if I uh, die prematurely, unexpectedly, I would like to be buried in the pet cemetery and come back as a, a demon. Yeah, I'll make sure you do. Uh, we make that happen for you, Joe. Appreciate it. Oh, and the next movie. What's the next movie again? I know I mentioned it in the last little thing, but wrong turn. Wrong turn. Um. Well, I'm excited to see it, and uh, it's been a great episode. I'm glad that we did it. 
it was rough not being able to uh you know those times we tried to do it before yeah but this is uh, difficulties we finally got our system down here so this is good uh okay man well um let's call it and i will uh you know i'll see you soon right (laughs) yeah yeah just let me know when we want to do the next one when you all right when's a good time i'm gonna end the broadcast and then we'll still be in here i think all right goodbye everybody thanks guys (laughs) Ha ha ha!